Welcome to The Meeting Room, a place to gather and discuss all things relating to meat safety, quality, and production. I'm Brianna Boozman, and I'm excited to have you join me in The Meeting Room. In the past week, over 2.4 million hogs and over 609,000 beef animals were harvested. This produced approximately 536 million pounds of pork and over 500 million pounds of beef products. Of the beef produced, approximately 12% graded USDA Select, 73% graded USDA Choice, and 11% graded USDA Prime. A study in Ireland looked at over 350 meat substitute products and found that while 49% of these products fell within the high-protein category, 28% of them fell below the benchmark for products to be advertised as a source of protein. A Washington state producer has pled guilty to wire fraud for defrauding Tyson Foods and other companies over $240 million by charging for the production of over 200,000 cattle that did not exist. He could face up to 20 years in prison. On a more positive note, this summer, Subway is bringing back the roast beef and rotisserie chicken options to their menu. I've been ordering the Subway Club since I was about 12 years old, plus I'm a big rotisserie chicken fan, uh, so this is great news for me. So today we're going to be talking about butchering livestock at home or home harvest. This has been a really common theme or a common question that I have had um, a lot of conversations about in this past year, both with friends and family and just folks calling into the office uh, where I work in Extension. This fall, uh, we published an article in the UNL Beef Watch about things to consider before harvesting an animal at home. And since then, I've given a number of presentations on this topic, and it continues to be a conversation uh, that's consistently had, and I thought it would be a great topic to cover today. So before I jump into it too much, I want to preface by saying that I'm not going to encourage or discourage home harvest. It's something that has been done and is often done by many people, but it's not a task that should be taken lightly or just jumped into just because you can get a deal on a fed steer or on a market pig. Uh, before you make the decision to give it a try, there are some important things that you need to think about, and hopefully this conversation today uh, will give you some direction in some of those things that need to be considered before you jump into this task. So before we even begin discussing home harvest, it's really important just to take a step back and think about the meat industry as a whole um, and what brought up a lot of these conversations specifically about home harvest. And so uh, just looking at the meat industry in the United States, it hosts over 5.4 million jobs and costs over $257 billion in wages. And so when you're thinking about the size of this industry, uh, providing protein for uh, the population of the United States as well as to many people abroad, it takes a lot of moving pieces and a lot of people to make that happen. And so when we're thinking about a global pandemic that is affecting people, um, an industry that has over 5.4 million people employed is likely going to be hit pretty hard, especially when you're thinking about uh, meat production and how that's done. A lot of people in close quarters, um, a lot of people indoors at these harvest facilities uh, that are then 
having the opportunity to be exposed to this virus. So we talked a little bit about the numbers for this week at the beginning of this podcast, about the number of animals that were harvested this past week in pounds produced, and that's something that's really important to keep in mind. Each week in the United States, um, about 600,000 cattle are harvested, producing uh, over 500 million pounds of beef. And similarly in hogs, each week on average, over 2.5 million hogs are harvested, producing about 550 million pounds of pork. So it's really a lot of animals, um, a lot of production that is happening. And in this past year, when we start thinking about COVID and the impact uh, that that had, we started seeing some headlines like plant closures leading to hog producers needing to euthanize their pigs, Um, outbreak at pork plants triggers another meat closure, pork chops versus people battling coronavirus in Iowa meat plants. Those were all headlines that we were seeing uh, commonly throughout the industry, and we were seeing a lot of closures happening Um, And when you start thinking about this and thinking about those hundreds of thousands and millions of animals that were market ready and they were ready to be harvested and suddenly didn't have a place to go. And it created a lot of conversations about what can we do with these animals. Uh, Euthanasia was an option, but obviously that was not uh, the route that anybody wanted to take, uh, the producer, the consumer, anybody in that line. And so because of that, we started seeing a lot of options for people to consider harvesting at home. Um, I know personally on my Facebook page and my social media pages, there was a lot of posts about uh, chances to get you and your family's freezers filled. Uh, We have no place to bring our finished pigs, and so we're trying to sell them privately. $25 per head, $5 per head, free Anybody who can take them, uh, they're yours. Our loss is your freezer's gain. All of these things were um, on my social media pages, people just trying to find a home for these animals. And we really specifically were seeing this in pigs. Uh, However, it did overlap into other species as well. Uh, Because of that and because of uh, just this now opportunity to be able to try to harvest at home, we in extension... Um, and just those involved in the meat industry started getting a lot of questions. Uh, Can we process animals at home? How much product am I going to get if I try this? You know, how much cooler freezer space am I going to need? How can I handle that product? And even going as far as should I try to build a meat processing plant? Is this something that, you know, I should jump into and try to do? We had a lot of great conversations along those questions, and hopefully if you were asking any of these or if that was something that you were interested in or curious about, um, we can cover some of those today. So really when it comes to harvesting at home, I said this when I prefaced that it's something that is done often and it is something that will continue to be done, and uh, there's, there's definitely options and the ability to be able to harvest at home. But there's really um, a few things that you need to consider before jumping into it. So today I'm going to talk through uh, four main considerations of things that you just need to think about before you make that decision or before it's something that you decide to jump into. So the first one and really my biggest concern when we talk about home harvest is food safety. And so really being able 
to produce a safe product that you and your family can confidently consume. And so really being able to answer the question of, can you cool the carcass, keep it clean, and properly store the product to ensure food safety? And this is really important when we start thinking about cooling that carcass and keeping it cool. When we think about meat products before they're consumed, we want them to be cold. We want them to stay um, in a refrigerator or in a cooler or in a freezer because of food safety and spoilage. It goes into quality as well. During the winter, it's one thing when it's consistently cold temperatures, but this past week in Lincoln, During the day, it's ranging from 52 to 66 to 68. Um, Overnight, it's dropping down to 43 to 34 to 36 to 41. So we're seeing this time of year a lot of variation in temperature. Uh, When it comes to cooling that carcass, within 24 hours of harvest, we want to see that carcass below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And oftentimes, people really start thinking about that initial cooling aspect and hitting that 24-hour mark. So I had questions like, you know, it maybe is a little bit warmer outside, but what if I try to put that carcass in an ice water bath? Or what if I try to put it in a cooler with dry ice? And though these are options, they can open you up to more problems. So thinking of something like, Um, a cold water bath or an ice water bath, if there's any contamination on that carcass and you then put it into a water bath, you're now exposing that entire carcass to that contamination. Additionally, if you take a hot carcass and put it into ice cold water, you can actually cause some quality issues. It can impact and um, hurt that conversion that muscle goes through to convert to meat. And it can actually create some major tenderness and quality issues if it gets too cold too fast. And that's the same thing if you think about using dry ice or any of those types of things. Getting that carcass too cold too fast can actually hurt the final eating experience of that product. And if you're going to put in the time and if you're going to do this, uh, you want to make sure that it tastes good. The other concern when it comes to cooling that carcass is then being able to keep it cool. So maybe you can hit that under 40 degree mark within the 24 hours, but then uh, you have to think, are you going to let this carcass hang? Are you going to age it at all? Or are you going to cut it immediately? And if you do cut it immediately, do you have another place that you can store that product uh, to keep it cool and protected? Additionally, we start to think about some of the flavor and odor absorption. So one cool thing about meat and the fat that's within uh, that carcass is it can absorb off flavors and odors. And specifically when we think about home harvest, oftentimes this is going to be done in a barn or in a shop and in a place where there's likely a lot of odors or... Uh, You start thinking about manure if you're in a barn or diesel if you're in a shop that can actually absorb into that carcass and create off flavors and off odors in that product. So making sure the environment is very clean um, is really important. Additionally, we worry about contamination. So thinking about the hide of that animal, specifically if you're thinking about beef this time of year when we have had some rains, you're getting rid of some of that snow. Uh, It's sloppy outside, and so 
Um, it provides an opportunity for that hide to get a lot of that mud and that manure packed into it, which is a great place for bacteria to grow. And so making sure that you can effectively remove that, the equipment that you're using is clean, and that you're in a clean environment, that you're not somewhere that is going to be kicking up dust or kicking up further bacteria particles is really important. And when we talk about food safety, uh, it is really important just to mention that within the United States, in order to legally sell meat products, it needs to be harvested and fabricated under uh, USDA inspection. This is put into place in order to um, ensure that safe meat is entering the food supply. So animals are inspected prior to harvest to make sure that those animals are fit to enter the food supply. And then they're inspected throughout the fabrication and processing period. So there's inspectors all throughout meat plants that can keep an eye on those sort of things. It's a little bit different when we start talking about like your local processor who's maybe a custom exempt plant. Uh, They still have regulations they need to follow. You can bring in a steer or a pig of your own and take it home, but they can't sell that meat that has been harvested if it was not harvested and cut under inspection. So there's a little bit of confusion that can happen there. And that's something in future podcasts, I'll try to go a little bit further into the inspection and the legality of sales and those sorts of things. But just want to mention that if you are harvesting meat at home without any inspection, you legally cannot sell that meat to your neighbor or to your friend. And the inspection is really done to ensure food safety and to ensure traceability of a product. And so if you think about um, if you go to the store and you buy pork chops and your family gets sick, you're able to actually trace that product back to the plant. And that's something that meat inspection is put into place to help with, to help with recalls and to help if anything like that goes wrong. If you harvest at home and then you bring um, some of that product to, say, a church potluck and a lot of people get sick, that can come back directly to you and put a lot of liability on yourself. And so just really being conscious of those things before you jump into it and before you share that product is really important to keep in mind. Okay, so food safety is number one. Number two is animal welfare. So can you ensure a humane handling and stunning of that market animal? When you're thinking about that animal, it was raised to produce meat, but you also want to just respect the life of that animal Um, and make sure that it is being done humane and in a stress-free environment. And this isn't just important for the animal, but it's also important for uh, worker safety. So making sure that it's a really smooth experience, that everything goes well, as well as for meat quality. Uh, High stress situations can lead to a poor quality product. And that really ties into our third point. So two and three, humane handling or animal welfare, ties in with point three, which is meat quality. Can you effectively harvest and process the animal without negatively impacting meat quality? So that was a lot of kind of big words in there, but meat quality is really talking about the eating experience that you can expect uh, from that product. I tell my students a lot that when you think about quality, you need to think about uh, answering the question of how good, 
How good is that product going to taste? Is it going to be palatable, tender, juicy, flavorful? Keeping that in mind, the way that you process and harvest this animal can really have a huge impact on meat quality or that final eating experience. So specifically in pork, one of the biggest quality issues that we can see is something known as PSE or pale, soft, and exudative pork. This literally means that the pork products that are produced from that pig end up being really pale in color, almost a whitish to gray color, soft, and so they don't hold that firm texture that we associate with meat. Typically, you expect that when you cut a steak or if you have a roast, that it's really going to be able to hold its shape. PSE product is going to be more oozy, and it's not going to be able to hold that firm shape. And it's going to be exudative, so it's going to be leaking uh, moisture. It's going to end up creating a very, very dry product because it isn't binding moisture. And PSE is caused by a number of different things. It can be caused by genetics, but it can also be caused by stress. And that's really one of the biggest causes of PSE pork is if the animal is stressed prior to harvest. And I'm not going to go into all the science that can cause that today, but understanding that keeping an animal cool, calm, and collected and stress-free prior to harvest is super important in order to create a high-quality product. Again, along the same lines as food safety, if you're going to be going through all of the work to do this process, uh, you want to make sure that you're going to have a good eating experience when you're done. You want that product to taste great, and so trying to keep it as humane and stress-free as possible is really important. A few other quality concerns that we can see, uh, specifically thinking about home harvest. So blood splash, or actually getting pockets of blood within the meat, can be caused if exsanguination or bleeding out of that animal is not done quickly and effectively. So typically when we harvest an animal, it's knocked or rendered unconscious and immediately followed by the exsanguination or removal of blood. And if this does not happen right away, the blood pressure can build up in that animal and it can cause really those capillaries and vesicles that are within that muscle to burst. And when that happens, it creates pockets of blood within the meat. And so typically meat does not have any blood in it. The red color is caused by something called myoglobin, which is very similar to hemoglobin that's within your blood. Um, that carries oxygen to the muscle and gives it that red color. Typically, we don't see any blood in meat. And so if we're getting these pockets of blood, uh, one, it looks really, really bad. It's not something that's going to draw you in to want to eat that product. Uh, Two, it's going to taste really bad. Um, It's going to create some of those metallic-y flavors. And three, it can cause a food safety concern. Blood is a great place for bacteria to grow, and so we want to make sure that that or that exsanguination happens quickly and effectively to avoid that problem. Additionally, we can see problems with bruising. Um, if that live animal wasn't handled correctly prior to harvest, uh, it can create bruises in the muscle uh, that then would have to be cut out and removed. It's not something that you're going to want to incorporate in those further process products, and it's just going to be, again, a 
handling issue and an animal welfare issue that we want to try to avoid. So the way that you're actually handling these animals, the way that you're harvesting them, uh, can really impact that eating experience. I've said this before, but one of the really cool things I think about meat production in meat science is that really every step of the process matters in terms of your final eating experience. So the genetics of the animal, the nutrition, the way it was raised, the way it was harvested, the way it was handled and packaged and frozen and stored and cooked and seasoned, all of those things can impact how that product is actually going to taste and how safe it's going to be for your family. Basically what I'm saying is you don't want to be the step in the chain that messes it up. And so Really keeping that quality in mind uh, is going to be important as you go through the home harvest process. Okay, so my final point is going to be thinking about equipment and facilities. And so do you have the equipment and facilities to work efficiently, ensure worker safety, maintain a cool environment, and to store the final product? So oftentimes when people think about harvesting at home, they think about needing a knife and then maybe like a handsaw. And, you know, if you got those, you're good. You're going to be able to figure it out. And honestly, those two things will go a long way. They'll be very beneficial in the process. But there's a lot more to think about as well. So just thinking about working with these market animals. So say you're working with a 1,400-pound steer That's going to produce about an 850 or more pound carcass. So thinking about how are you going to move that? Even once you break it down into primals, those are going to be some pretty heavy chunks that you're going to have to figure out a way to be able uh, to move, to be able to further fabricate. Um, A hog is going to be upwards of 300 pounds, a 220 plus pound carcass, and again, isn't something that's necessarily going to be easy to just maneuver around as you wish. So thinking about how are you going to hang these? How are you going to move them from hanging to a table? How are you going to cut these? Do you have a table or cutting boards or a space that you're actually going to be able to do that cutting on? How are you going to package them? Do you have uh, freezer paper? Do you have a vacuum sealer? Do you have something that you can actually further retain the quality by packaging? Do you have cooler space or freezer space? Thinking a little bit in terms of that quality and facilities, if you want to improve the eating experience specifically in beef, you may consider aging that product or letting it hang or be stored in a cooler or a refrigerator uh, for 7 to 14 days to try to improve some of that tenderness. Do you have a space to be able to do that? If you don't have a cooler or a space to do that, do you have a freezer to store the product? A hog is going to require about a five cubic foot freezer in order to fit all the product in, whereas a beef animal is going to require about a 16 cubic foot freezer. So you're going to need a lot of space. And on top of that, you have your knives, you have your saws, any protective equipment uh, that you want for your workers. Uh, This is a kind of a dangerous thing to be able to do, uh, putting some knives in people's hands who maybe... Um, aren't as comfortable on the fabrication or the cutting side of things can be pretty risky. And not only that, but when we talk about those heavy weights of those carcasses, um, being able to ensure your worker safety in terms of moving them or if one would fall, just making sure that you're keeping in mind uh, all of the necessary equipment 
and facilities to be able to manage this task. In addition to those things, you also need to think about how you're going to handle that final product. So we talked about freezing, but also how are you going to handle the offall? So if you're thinking about uh, the trim or the excess fat, the bone, the hide, the head, the viscera, the blood, what are you going to do with those products? There are some regulations in terms of um, how these products can be handled. They can be incinerated, which is often going to be pretty expensive to do. Uh, They can go to rendering, which again can be very expensive. In some places they can be buried, uh, but there are some regulations, again, that you're going to want to keep in mind. uh, Being careful to avoid groundwater, surface water, and just some different things like that. Making sure just to look up and look into those uh, local guidelines. Uh, Composting is an option, a landfill, but that's typically done just in emergencies or if there's no other place to go. And oftentimes you would have to use transportation done by rendering, which again could uh, be pretty expensive. You know, if you're just doing one animal, it may not seem like that big of a deal to keep these things in mind. Uh, But when it's the day of and all of a sudden you're having to make these decisions, you're going to be pretty happy that you thought about it and you tried to plan um, ahead of time. So really uh, the big things to recap this that you need to be thinking about prior to making the jump into home harvest is will you be able to manage food safety, animal welfare, meat quality, and your equipment and facility needs? Um, If you have been able to go through this, and as I've mentioned these different points, you've thought, oh, I have a plan for that. Oh, we could do it like this. That's great, and home harvest may be a great option for you. If not, or if there's things that I went through that maybe you were a little bit concerned about or questioning yourself, um, it may be best to continue to work with a local locker um, or somebody who has experience in this area. And I understand that a lot of local lockers right now, it's a year or more out in order uh, to get this processing done. And so something that's really important just to um, be planning ahead and keeping that in mind, trying to find the best method to really procure that high quality protein uh, for you and your family. So with that, thank you for joining me today in the meeting room. And I look forward to visiting with you more next time.